arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. are designed to demonstrate forcibly to old and young alike that crime does not pay. The Shadow, who aids the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Years ago in the Orient, Cranston learned a strange and mysterious secret, the hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, Death is a Colored Dream. to wonder if Su Lee possesses some of the shadow's qualities, a hypnotic presence. Perhaps, as it's said about the shadow, he was granted from the Orient, I might add, the mysterious power to cloud men's minds so they could not see him. Su Lee is luring these older men into situations that lead to their demise, all cleverly crafted and covered by Su Lee. With her kids kidnapped, Mary Ellen flees. Kel has everything figured out, but where is Mary Ellen? Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow. <laughs> now, here is the conclusion of Beach House by Robert P. Fenton. Chapter 28. Mary Ellen cupped the cold kitchen tap water in her hands and washed it over her face and then dabbed a soft terry cloth on her skin. The refrigerator motor started behind her, and she dropped the cloth. Her heart struck a loud and steady beat as she picked up the cloth and set it on the counter. A plate with crumbs from a frozen coffee cake and a milk-coated glass sat on the kitchen table as the mantel clock ticked slowly. Two hours had passed since she entered the beach house. She peered out the window at the single street light, illuminating the rhododendron bushes, bordering the road, and she agonized about calling Sue Lee. She cut across the tiles and reached for the wall phone. For a moment she hesitated, but when the dial tone hummed in the earpiece, she accessed Sue Lee's number. She waited for the voicemail to activate, but the line just kept ringing. This is crazy. As she set down the phone, something crashed on the outside patio, and the sound of breaking glass made her retrieve the wood wedge again. She opened the slider. The bells and chimes rocked in the wind and competed with the trumpet from the waiting pool's music player. Huge glass chunks from the overturned table were strewn across the patio bricks. With the wedge in hand, she stepped into the brisk, cool wind and in the bright light saw the table and umbrella fallen next to the outside wall. A gust blew back her hair as the metal chimes chattered and the copper bells clanged. She looked up the roof pitch and wondered if somebody had tried to climb on the roof and enter the house through one of the third-floor windows. Maybe some of the windows were unlocked. She quickly raced against the wind back into the kitchen and secured the sliders and looked at the foyer stairs. Maybe no one was in the house. Maybe the wind had knocked over the table. I want my kids back, Suli, she shouted toward the stairs. Refrigerator motor shut off and the outside wind now dominated the stillness. She clutched the wedge and walked slowly over the tiles. 
thoughts of the crashed table. A mere twenty feet behind her outside, stayed with her as she crossed the rug and sat on the soft sulfur cushion. She pulled back the curtain, checked the street light, and stood alone and afraid. The telephone startled her. She spun around on the sulfur, gripped the wedge as the voicemail message replayed her own voice. I want my kids back, Zuli. And cool jazz mixed with the night scene refrain began again. The dial tone hummed loudly in the kitchen voicemail. Where are you? Upstairs, she thought she heard someone walking across the floor, but she wasn't sure whether the sound emanated from the second or the third floor. With the wedge in hand, she sprang from the sulfur and hovered next to the coffee table. Her voice was shaky and words crept out between staccato breaths. I have the money, Sue Lee. Half a million. I'll take it out as soon as the bank opens. She must have imagined the noises upstairs. Her hands were tight on the wedge, and she knew, with a little provocation, she could easily swing the stick mightily into Sue Lee's skull. She gazed up at the foyer stairway and debated whether to hike to the upper floors. In her fatigued state, maybe she had only dreamed she had heard someone crossing the floor, and she backed up toward the sofa. This time she opened the downstairs linen closet and pulled out a heavy quilt and dragged it across the rug back to the sofa. Outside the sliders, the moon peeked over the bay and cut a thin, bright slice along the kitchen tiles and the living room rug as she settled under the quilt's spreading warmth next to Danny's panda bear. She clutched the wedge and wondered whether luring Sue Lee to the house was a clever ruse just to frighten and eventually kill her. Once again, the phone ring jolted her. She threw off the quilt and sprinted into the kitchen. She pushed the voicemail button. The light stopped flashing, but the phone kept ringing. She covered her ears and marched back to the quilt. The ring was long and echoed over each extension in the house. She dragged the quilt over her head and packed the fabric between her ears and her hands. This time Sue Lee would not play her sick game. She's not there, said Kel from the side desk. Butch emerged from the back room with a computer sheet in his hand. What have you got, Butch? I just got this posted off the computer. Yesterday, Ron Lee was given a motor vehicle violation on the New Jersey Turnpike. 85 and a 65 zone. Kids couldn't have been inside that van because the officer stopping the van would have heard them. Why the hell was he going so fast? That's a good question. He said as the radio sounded in the dispatcher's room and one of the cops called him inside. Butch set down the computer sheet on the desk and hurried across the room. Chief has Sue Lee. He's bringing her in. Any resistance? asked Kel without leaving the chair. The officer inside said something into the mic and a garbled signal filled the dispatch room. Chief says she came willingly. I want to know what she did with those kids, said Kel, holding the sides of the desk. Innocent children. We need to find out whether the New Jersey State Police saw them, said Butch. He picked up a phone and sat on the desk. Kel listened as he navigated through the police station phone system. That's not good if the kids weren't in the van. Well, we don't know that for sure. I was just speculating, said Kel, knowing he was trying to rationalize every fact in the case. Being impartial is why he used to remove himself from cases involving family and friends. Butch connected to somebody in Newark. Let me see the report, Krebs. You know as well as I do, we need to know if those kids were in the van. Yeah, I know the FBI's involved. Kel picked up the desk phone and pressed the lighted extension. The gravelly-voiced Krebs spoke within a cluster of noise. Hey, who is this? My name's Walter Kelly, and I know these kids personally. What the hell's going on here, Krebs? That speeding ticket is important. Wasn't a speeding ticket. It was... It was a speeding ticket, not a bank robbery arrest. Nothing uh, unusual was reported. If those kids were in the van, the officer would have seen them. It ain't no big deal. It's no big deal. Oh, really? We need to speak to the officer who issued the ticket. Could involve a kidnapping of three kids, yelled Kel. Well, 
Why can't it wait till morning? The guy's asleep. It's past midnight. Then I'm calling the damned FBI, you stupid son of a bitch. These kids' lives are at stake here. After a short silence, the officer came back on the line. Okay, okay. Good. I'll be here waiting. If I don't hear from you in ten minutes, then I'm getting on the horn to the FBI. I'll call you. Kel slammed down the phone. Little bastard, I'll have his ass if he doesn't call back in five minutes. Butch moved over to the side window and looked through the blinds. Hey, here comes the chief. Good. Kel stroked his chin. Suli and her brother may have worked in conjunction in all the accidental deaths. Or maybe she just used his van to track Kel into Delaware and kidnap the kids. Where are they? Where the hell is Mary Ellen? He picked up the phone and placed another call to Massachusetts. Almost immediately, Mary Ellen's sister picked up the phone. Hello? Yes, this is Walter Kelly. I'm sorry to be calling so late. No, that's why I'm calling. Just called the beach house and the phone rang and rang, said Kel. I tried both lines. You know, Mosey has two voicemails. Well, maybe she disconnected them before she left for Massachusetts. Kel looked out the window, but he did not see Sue Lee. I have to tell you, we're about to question Sue Lee. They're bringing her in now. Has she said anything yet about the kids or Mosey? They'll have her here in a couple of minutes. I will. As he hung up the phone, Kel heard the door open out back. He looked at Butch, but then pushed himself up. He stretched his back, and the pain briefly crossed his ribs as he walked to the back corridor. Through the half-drawn blinds, Sue Lee sat in a single chair in front of two office desks. She wore a white sweater and jeans, and the night-sin palm oil scent was prevalent in the room. When Kel moved into the doorway, she tightened her brow. I suppose you're responsible for this outage. I'd like to think so, said Kel. I haven't done anything wrong. Where the hell do you get off trying to say I tried to kill you outside my father's house? What were you doing up there anyway? Hawkins stepped forward. We'll ask the questions here, Miss Lee. This man has been trying to frame me for months. Hawkins glanced at Kel, but did not refute her accusation. Were you in uh, Haydenville, Maryland two days ago? No. Really? Then where were you? I don't have to answer any of your questions without a lawyer present. Then get a lawyer, said Hawkins. I think you were up there. Where are the Fresco children? I don't have a clue. Liar, screamed Kel. Kelly, cool it, said Hawkins. He spun back to Sue Lee. She crossed her arms over a sweater. Where are those kids? Told you, I don't know. You keep asking me, and I tell you I was here at Binghamton Beach. No witnesses? asked Butch. I have no comment. Tomorrow morning I'll get a lawyer. Tell us about your brother, said Kel, sitting behind the desk. He propped up his elbows. My brother lives in Annapolis with his roommate. He owns your father's old van, doesn't he? asked Kel. Yeah, he does. So what? I saw that van in Delaware when I went to visit Roger Trombley's wife said Kel. See, she said, pointing at Kel. He's trying to say I was involved in Roger's death. That van was in the area when the ramps were stolen out of my car along with my cell phone. Oh, come on. Why would you have those ramps anyways unless you were trying to frame me? She shook her head, crossed her legs, and turned away. I went out with Roger. Yes, we had a relationship. I fully admit that. Oh, yeah? What about Artie Rankin? What is this, a review of all my lovers? Is that what you want, Kelly? You're sicker than I thought. What about Edward Latrobe? He died in the woods. Somebody plugged him with a rifle. I loved him. I wouldn't kill him. And Rankin just happened to fall off the jetty rocks? Asked Kel. Do I control the tides and the storms, too? This is uh, very interesting, said Hawkins. Three men. All your lovers all died by accident. And now Tony Fresco falls off a ladder at his house. His wife and his kids are missing. You have nothing on me. I was home. You used a pipe cutter, said Kel in an almost low, mystical voice, to loosen those rungs. I have a witness who says you purchased an Aberdeen ladder from the municipal hardware store in Haydenville. That was less than a week ago. 
And if you check my father's work area, you would have found it. I won't deny it. Work needs to be done around the property. My brother and I are going to sell it. You were in that front-end loader. You lifted my damn car over the riverbank and tried to kill me because you knew I was getting close. What? And you have a damned answer for everything. She evidenced a slight smile. I want to go back home. I'm calling my lawyer in the morning. So you're saying that you know nothing about the kids, said Hawkins. Absolutely nothing. I will say that. Where's your brother now, Sue Lee? Or even the roommate? I tried calling his house, said Butch. I don't keep tabs on my brother. Where's the latter? Asked Kel, staring into her dark eyes, but she looked away. Told you where the latter was. I could get you for trespass. Be my guest, baby. Be my guest. She smiled and exhaled. You like all this, don't you, Kelly? You like the excitement. She said, opening her eyes wider, and she pushed back her long, dark hair. The thoughts of what I might have done with those men. All right, that's enough. Butchie, stay back here. Kelly, come with me. Kel's ribs ached as he stood, and he thought she grinned at his pain. He walked into the corridor with Hawkins and passed the drawn blinds. Just lying her little ass off, Hawk. Well, what the hell do I have to go on? He asked as they reached the front room. Suspicion of murder. Three murders, he said. The front dispatcher looked out the door. Hey, Chief. Three FBI guys will be here at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. They want our question, Sue Lee. Well, that's good news, said Kel. Hawk, just hold her on anything. Yeah, then some hotshot lawyer gets a hold of it and twists it around. I have to let her go, Kelly. We'll keep somebody out at the condos. Bad move, said Kel. We have to turf this to the FBI anyways. They crossed over the state lines. Hawkins pursed his lips and looked up at Kel. But I do owe you an apology. You owe it to me to lock up that woman. Chapter 29 Mary Ellen again thought she heard creaking on the second floor. Her fatigued body demanded sleep, but the influx of adrenaline into her system pushed her consciousness to the edge. She dropped the quilt and dragged the wood pole into the kitchen. The spotlight still blazed across the grass and the shimmering pool waters. The bells clanged in the wind as a slight mist sprayed against the sliders. The upstairs noise stopped. Maybe caffeine and a drink would stabilize her sludgy mind. She opened the refrigerator door and removed a plastic soda bottle. The green digits on the microwave clock passed 1 a.m. as she slowly unscrewed the cap and poured the bubbling caramel liquid into the clear glass she had used earlier in the evening. The soda tickled her lips, leaving a carbonated trail down her throat. She wandered across the kitchen toward the sliders, swished the soda around her mouth and dissolved the bubbles. The hours of waiting proved too excruciating. She stared at the yellow wall phone and wanted to call the police. Why did she think she could trust Sue Lee? A shaking thud shook the sink and dishes in the cabinet. She spun from the phone and backed along the sliders. Distinct in the outside light, a thin Asian man with stringy black hair, a long face and terror in his eyes, raised a patio chair toward the sliders. Mary Ellen screamed and tipped over the counter stool. She hit the floor hard as the man smashed the slider. Angled glass chunks ticked her neck and arms as the moist bay air pounced in like a mountain lion over her shoulders. She scrambled on the floor as she leaped through the jagged opening and for the first time heard a distinctly American accent. You've been alive too long, Mrs. Fresco. Then he chuckled as she raced into the foyer. You are going to be brutally murdered. Mary Ellen used the banister to propel herself up the stairs, but she could hear him mumbling as he kicked the counter stool across the kitchen. She lifted her knees into the air as if she were running the high hurdles in track competition. Running to the third floor would box her in, and the only escape would be through the outside windows. She pivoted at the corner and sprinted into the master bedroom. She slammed the door shut and turned the lock but knew he would easily topple the door. Maybe he didn't know about the narrow staircase to the third floor. She stormed past the walk-in closet and rounded the carpeted stairway upward. The outside spotlight's glow reached the upper stairway. She could still see the third floor windows as she neared the top. He jumped into the third floor doorway. His dark eyes were heavy and his elongated white teeth bared. 
as he placed his wet, cold hands around her neck. She pounded her closed fist into his face, and seemingly with no effort, he pressed his thumbs into her windpipe. Choking and already losing strength, she fell to her knees, pulling him down, but his forward momentum sent him tumbling over her shoulders. His grip lessened and his thumbs were gone. Air gushed into her lungs as she clung onto the carpeted stair tread. He wailed as he crashed into the wall and flipped down the stairs into the bedroom. On her belly, lungs chugging like cylinders in a car engine, Mary Ellen catapulted onto the upper rug. She clutched the couch arm and staggered toward the end table phone. With her left knee propped on the couch, she swiped at the receiver, reeled in the coiled cord, and frantically dialed 911. With the phone at one ear, she listened for any movement upstairs, but the line was not ringing. She hammered down the receiver and tried again. When she heard nothing, she tacked the phone line, swerving like a snake across the rug. The plastic junction box was smashed on the moonlit floor. Oh, God! She let the phone fall onto the rug. With no sound from the bedroom below, she bolted toward the central stairwell. She grasped the banister and leaped several stairs at a time to the second floor. The cool, salty air crept up from the foyer as she nudged against the balcony rail. In a matter of seconds, she could be out the front door. She rushed to the first floor stairs, glanced into the dark bedroom, and then raced downward. But her sneaker slid on the wet rug. Her shoulder impacted the stair spindles at an angle, and her cheekbones smacked the tile. Now you're dead. His blurry half-lit image towered at the top of the staircase. Mary Ellen pushed with her feet as if she were in water, and slithered along the tiles as he bounded down from above. With her left hand, she clasped the end of the wood wedge. She tucked and rolled as she planted her feet on the tiles. Her cheekbone throbbed. With both hands securely around the pole, she swung the stick at her approaching attacker. She caught him in the stomach, but quickly retracted the pole for another swipe. He screeched like a bird injured in the forest, dipping his head as he grabbed his abdomen. Mary Ellen grazed his chin and he fell back against the door. She gripped the pole, but sprinted to the sliders. He stood behind her and sang out the words of the song. You never cared about the night scene. You wanted to get out unfazed. You should have left me alone. And now you're dead. Now you're dead. The music player blasted the same song across the yard as Mary Ellen hacked at the slider glass and leaped onto the patio. He slowly chanted each word with the music as she checked the beach trail on the lawn around the house, but continued toward the pool. Over her shoulder, she saw him crash through the open slider. His face was bloodied and swollen at the mouth, but his eyes still possessed a kind of savage fury only an injured killer could muster. He closed in near the pool tiles. Again, she swung the pole. This time, he easily dodged the attack. Where are my kids? Where are my kids? Safe keeping. They'll rest for a long time, he said with glassy eyes, and he tilted his head. You bastard! She batted the pole, but he caught it and wrenched it away. His eyes opened wide as he hit the pole against his hand like a policeman tapping a billy club against his palm. Mary Ellen's legs brushed against the rough edge of the diving board, and she attempted to remain on her feet. I did nothing to you! Murderer! Murderer! Isn't that harsh, Mosey? How do you know my name? How? I know all I have to know. You killed Tony, she said, stepping around the pool corner. The aqua water lapped the tiles below her. You killed the others. I thought you wanted money. I have money. I'm prepared to give it to you. He tightened his brow, stepped over the diving board, and leaped onto the tiles. I don't want your money, lady. I want you to leave my sister alone. Mary Ellen backed toward the kid's pool and the music player. I have the money. Please. His eyes were fixed, his lips straight, and his protruding veins on his hands reminded her of what he did to her throat upstairs. With each deliberate step, he narrowed the distance as the song continued from the music player. She guided her hand on the tiled wall near the pool and scrambled as he darted left. Then he smiled, the smile of a killer about to complete his task. 
He set his foot and sprinted around the pool, but he slipped on the smooth surface and bashed his shoulder and head against the tiles as he slid forward into the wading pool. His head never fully went under. She looked at the kid's music player on the side table and reversed direction. Within seconds, she lifted the box into the air, and as his eyes jammed, she tossed the box in a gentle arc above the pool. The frightening lyrics in loud jazz ceased. Sparks crackled across the water, and electricity surged into his body. Mary Ellen backed across the pool tiles as he cried out in agony. Silence overtook the night. A series of outside lights, beginning with the children's pool, and finally all the house lights blinked out, leaving only the emerging moonlight across the yard. She moved away from the diving board's gritty surface as alternate wind gusts chilled her sweaty skin. In the reflected light, his water-soaked maroon shirt drifted across the tiny pool's surface, and a sickening odor of cooked flesh was swept away with each gust. The wind and the water currents moved the corpse in an indeterminate fashion. She raced away from the gruesome sight around the pool and slowed as she neared the table and collapsed into the patio chair. Tears covered her face, and she now faced the dreadful thought of her children dead somewhere. She pictured Dandy's bright eyes as he ran through this very yard just last week, and the image of her two daughters approaching maturity remained in her thoughts. Calling the police was her only alternative now and she prayed this crazed lunatic had left her children alive. Without looking back at the wading pool, Mary Ellen moved directly to the smashed sliders. But as she neared the kitchen, bright headlights swung into her driveway. She stopped at the sliders, worried now about Sue Lee. Carefully, she reached through the broken glass edges and pushed up the latch with her index finger. The glass splinted and crunched in the slider track as she rushed inside and raced over to the living room window. Kel's tiny security car was stopped out front. Thank God, Kel! Thank God! Kel moved in a stilted manner from the car. She hurried into the foyer and thrust open the door. Kel! Kel! His head jutted to the right. Mary Ellen, I had a feeling you might be out here. The kids are gone. She ran down the brick walk and embraced him. Oh, Kel, I don't know where they are. I don't. But he's dead. He's dead. Who's dead? He asked, taking her by the shoulders. The guy. Must be her brother. You killed him? Yes, yes. He had his hands around my throat. He chased me through the house. And when he slipped into the wading pool, I threw the music player into the water. Ronald Lee, are you sure he's dead? Oh, I'm sure. Chapter 30 Kel held her hand and they cautiously approached the murky pool. Ron Lee's maroon jersey floated on the surface, his arms dangling like a weightless astronaut, and his hair formed wisps within chunks of the moonlit water. Kel stared for an inordinate time. Mary Ellen's hands shook, and she again held him as he turned away from the dead man. Oh, God! I still can't figure this out, he said, swinging her away from the tiny pool. I think this guy was in Delaware, but I'm not sure. The van was the father's, and then Ron Lee owned it. I told him I had the money. What money? asked Kel, stopping midway down the main pool. He pulled the music player plug. Somebody left a ransom note for the kids under my pillow in Bradenton. Old magazine letters blocked and cut out. They wanted a half a million dollars. I was supposed to come back here to the beach house. She glanced back at the pool. He called me Mosey. Only my sister and my family call me Mosey. He must have been in Massachusetts. Unless they talked to her, said Kel. And he told me to leave his sister alone. Kel stroked his chin and looked back at the beach house's darkened windows. The facade was stark white in the moonlight. What else did he say? He said my kids would rest for a long time and were in safe keeping. Then they are alive. And he said I was harsh when I called him a murderer. Maybe he's not, said Kel as they started moving again. Maybe he was just defending his sister. I don't know. Mary Ellen grit her teeth. He had his fingers around my neck. I know. I'm sorry. He brushed back the broken slider glass with his sneaker and brought her back into the kitchen. Where's the box? 
box? Circuit breaker box. Oh. She pointed to the cellar door and grabbed her flashlight from the counter drawer. Down here. I kept hearing noises, Kel. I checked the whole house. Somehow he hid upstairs. She handed him the flashlight and he flipped the beam against the glossy white cellar door. I'm sure this guy was very clever. He opened the door and the cellar air filtered upward. Whether or not he was responsible for my accident, I don't know. What happened to you? They started down the stairs. I'm sorry, your car was ruined. Somebody in a front end loader scooped up the car and was so gracious it deposited it and me over a riverbank. That's not important. Sue Lee is still involved in this. She bought a ladder, matching Tony's ladder, right in the hardware store of her hometown, Haydenville, Maryland. I have a witness. What? They reached the bottom of the stairs. She guided the light to the elongated gray metal box in the corner. So she did do it. She killed Tony. Well, I don't know. They also sold car ramps at the same store. Listen, she is so very clever. He pulled at the box handle and swung the panel open. Before I landed in the river, I was in her father's work shed. The guy was a machinist. Tools everywhere. What I think she did was use pipe cutters to loosen the upper rungs of the ladder. When Tony put his weight on the rung, it collapsed. Exactly. Then she switched the ladders just like we thought, just like she did with the car ramps. Then you were right, she said, putting her hand on his shoulder. You found the evidence and you were right. Yeah, I was right. He pushed up the main power lever and then turned back to the kitchen, but nothing happened. What the hell is going on here now? What's the matter? The power is still out, he said, and snapped the lever several times. The short circuit must have damaged your wiring. Well, I for one don't want to hang around here. We need to call Hawkins and Butch. You'll have to let them interview you. He motioned the flashlight back toward the kitchen stairs. My only concern is finding your kids now. I don't care about nailing her for anything. Just get the kids back. Where could they be? She asked as they started up the stairs. I mean, Kel, if she's not saying anything. I think she sent that note and I think she wanted the money. If she hadn't been taken in for questioning, she'd be out here right now. Mary Ellen stepped onto the kitchen tiles, her eyes fixed on the outside moonlight covering the patio and the trail to the frosted beach. Then why did he come out here? Maybe when he knew they were going to question his sister. Who knows what went through his mind? Kel rounded the corner and lifted the wall phone. Then he banged on the hook. Well, this is ridiculous. Is the phone really out? Asked Mary Ellen, scanning the yard. Then she turned to the living room and peered out the front window. Kel's little car was parked squarely on the gravel. She did it. Now nah, the short circuit probably affected the phone line. Come on, let's get out to the car. We'll go right down to the station. I don't think Mr. Lee is going anywhere. Kel held her hand again and walked her into the foyer. He opened the heavy front door and moonlight swept across the tiles. She moved by him, grasped the storm door handle and pushed. Once outside in the yard, she yawned in the night air. I think this guy was on the outer edges, covering for her. Possible, Mary Allen, very possible. As he moved onto the brick steps, three shots pierced the screen and splinted the front door. Kel yanked Mary Allen back as additional bullets ripped into the foyer walls. He slammed the front door and removed a large handgun from his side holster. Mary Allen screamed as he forced her to the floor. She's got, she's out there. She's going to kill us. No, that's not going to happen. Kel leaped to the door sidelight that separated the shears with his gun. She has to be shooting from the woods across the street. Oh my God, she is crazy. I've about had her with this. She knows she's cornered or she wouldn't have asked for half a million bucks. She knows eventually Hawkins will figure this out. We have to escape, Kel, down the beach trail. No, in the moonlight where sitting ducks should just plug us off. She knows the power and the phone are out or she wouldn't be trying this stunt right now. We need to get to my car. How? She has the front covered. Then we go out the back garage door. Kel looked out the sidelight. I figure that she'll loop around. We step out there and we're dead. No. I'll bet that she's heading out back. I bet she even knows her brother is dead. She's not the cool and collected killer now. She's angry and subject to mistakes. He turned from the sidelight and knelt next to her. We're going out the front door again. We're heading right for my car and we're driving out of here. 
She'll fire at the door. Kel took out his keys and held the gun in his other hand. The one thing I've noticed about her is her ability to be deliberately inconsistent once she's made consistent move. What does that mean? means that she kills with the same handle each time. She sets up the guy the same each time. But she's never where you think she's going to be afterwards, even during the stage accidents. You're staking our lives on that theory, Kel. I'm not waiting for her to enter the house. He opened the front door deliberately. Her heart beat as he grasped her hand and pulled her up. Somehow she trusted his instincts as she quickly followed him onto the steps. He ran beside her with his gun thrust up in the moonlight, down the brick walk, and no shots were fired. She opened the security car's side door and ducked around the hood. Once inside, he advised her to stay down as he inserted the keys in the ignition. She lowered her upper body down to her knees. Her lungs ached from hours of deep breathing. Kel turned the keys and the engine produced a rapid clicking. Damn it, she's got the starter. Out your door, on your belly. More shots cut the night air and shook the car. The driver's side window blew apart as Mary Ellen dove onto the gravel and wondered if Kel was hit. Kel! He raised his gun over the fender as two bright flashes cut the darkness and he fired toward Wilma's house. Let her keep shooting. Somebody will call the cops. If we're not killed first... We need to get back in the house, he said, taking her wrists. Are you crazy? Let's make a run for it. Down by the beach, in the woods, anywhere. Kel shook his head. His bushy brows were tightened over his moonlit blue eyes. No, she's the one out there. She can circle around and do anything. We need protective cover now. Mary Ellen didn't question his taking her hand and rushed with him up the front walk. All the while, she waited for Sue Lee to aim the gun and shoot her. Kel whipped open the storm door. They careened through the doorway. Again, he kicked the door shut. She'll find a way in here. The only ways in here are the garage, the sliders, and this door. No, said Mary Ellen, crying. She'll get in here. She'll kill us. Kel's lack of response actually bolstered her confidence in him. He walked her into the kitchen, pointing the gun toward the sliders, but headed for the garage. She moved with him as he checked the rear garage door, then retreated back to make sure both garage doors were locked, dolling her as the answer. By now, somebody has notified Hawkins about the gunfire. He brought her back into the kitchen and had her sit on the floor next to the refrigerator. She's evil. Evil. How do you overcome such evil? Don't let your emotions get the best of you. She's one person, one clever person, whose prowess is to cover murder by accident and to be evasive later. That's it. She's human, just like the rest of us. He had just finished that sentence when a shot cracked from the pool area. Kel reached up and was thrown back as Mary Ellen was sprayed with a mass of tissue and blood. Kel! Kel! She scrambled to his frame spread across the tiles. An expanding blood puddle reflected in the moonlight, and his eyes glowed like two luminescent marbles. Oh, God! She grabbed his heavy gun and crawled on her knees, crossed the floor tiles, and into the living room shadows. The ground shook as if horses were trampling the property. Stones tumbled over the patio blocks and glass chunks hit the side of the house. Mary Ellen grabbed the newel post and crawled up the foyer stairs. A few shots flew into the kitchen and into the foyer as she zipped along the balustrade. You're dead, Mosey. Now you're dead. Mary Ellen looked into the foyer and heard someone step through the sliders. The glass rolled across the tiles. One down, Mosey. You listen. Four shots in rapid succession followed. Don't count on seeing your buddy again, Mosey. The gun rattled in her hands as she stood near the wood trail and slid toward the staircase. She wondered whether she could even fire the weapon. The floor creaked in the kitchen and heels sharply tapped out the ever-present stride of Sue Lee searching for her prey. Mary Ellen swallowed and inched up the stairs. To avoid being killed, she would have to shoot Sue Lee or leave the beach house through the upper windows but the drop was higher to the patio tiles than the distance Tony had fallen from the rig ladder. Sue Lee's laugh bellowed through the downstairs hall and up the stairs. Mosey! Mosey! And now he's dead! On the third floor, she crept across the carpet and peered out the window to the moonlight ground over 45 feet below. Jumping would disable or even kill her. She held onto the sill until her knuckles hurt. 
For the longest time, she heard nothing and prayed Su Lee had not started up the stairs. She quickly turned and headed for the attic alcove surrounding the upper floor. Su Lee produced a muffled laugh from below and shots blasted downstairs. Mary Ellen forced the doorknob around. She flung open the little door and ducked into the darkened storage area. She slithered and rotated on the plywood until she faced the closed door. Then she sat up, held the gun in her lap, and slowly brought her breathing under control. With her finger loosely around the trigger, she lifted the heavy gun up in blackness. The wind raced through the side vents, and the first signs of the moonlight appeared as her eyes adjusted. More bullets shook the floor as Su Lee shot up the house. Where were the cops? I'll kill you, just like I killed your kids! Mary Ellen clamped her teeth and rubbed her finger over the trigger seam. Su Lee had to be lying. The kids were still alive. They had to be alive. More gunfire splintered the windows above the attic entrance. She aimed the gun where she thought the attic door was located. It would only be a matter of seconds before Su Lee fanned her automatic at the door. She silently whimpered and wiped her eyes with her sleeve as more shots sounded below on the second floor. Su Lee needed money, so the kids were alive. An immense swell of anger proliferated from within her tormented soul, and she crawled to the half-door. A series of loud shots popped downstairs. Murderer, she whispered as she marched with the gun outstretched in both hands across the third floor and glanced out the window at the moonlit bay as she passed. Numbness settled over her body, and survival prompted her toward the second-floor stairs. With Tony gone and the kids possibly dead, she no longer cared about her own life and only wished to inflict pain on Su Lee. Mosey! 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 Su Lee called from the foyer hallway, only a few feet away. Mary Ellen's hand shook like a car engine revved to the limit. Su Lee emerged from Shane's bedroom. She wore olive green combat fatigues and carried a semi-automatic weapon. In the corner of her mouth was the red glow from a smoldering stogie. She scanned the downstairs and unleashed another few rounds into the foyer. Mary Ellen clung onto Kell's handgun and nudged her way back to the staircase. Sue Lee kicked the hallway wall and bedroom door. The stogie smoke trail wafted up the staircase. Mary Ellen stood firm. The gun barrel pointed toward the staircase and anticipated Sue Lee's forward movement. Another eruption sliced apart her dresser, shattered the windows, and chewed up a haphazard trail across the flowery wallpaper. Bullets punctured the mattress, the sound muffled as the inner fabric ripped and was shredded. The attack ended as quickly as it had begun, and Su Lee screamed down the hallway, I want to kill you! The staircase rumbled as Su Lee raced up to the third floor stairs. Mary Ellen slipped into the dust-laden bedroom and tiptoed across the rug. But as she entered the foyer hallway, Su Lee bounded down the stairway again. Mary Ellen sprinted for the stairway and reached the tiles as Su Lee jumped into the hall. For only a second, her dark eyes glared at Mary Ellen. She raised the rifle and Mary Ellen dove into the kitchen. The glass from the exploding sidelights rained across the tiles and the front door was splinted as the rifle popping intensified. The handgun spun away as Mary Ellen slid and her fingertips touched the cold blood pool near Kell's head. She couldn't look at his bullet-torn body, and she scrambled toward the gun. Su Lee landed on the tiles near the front door and slowly turned with the surly, crazed look of a demented killer. Mary Ellen swung the gun around as Su Lee bared her teeth and clicked the rifle trigger. You won't kill me, because you don't have the nerve. Mary Ellen growled in a voice so grating her throat hurt. You murdered Tony! You think you're so smart! You and your ladders and your ramps! Suli held the rifle in a diagonal position as if she were in a military drill. She smiled that same cute smile usually reserved for barnacle bills. You know, I couldn't even bed your husband. I tried, but he had this odd attraction for you. This loyalty... I stripped off all my clothes in the shower. He looked at me, and he did nothing. Where are my kids? Asked Mary Ellen again, thrusting the gun outward. You've never shot a gun before, have you, Mosey? 
asked Sue Lee, reaching for an ammunition clip on her belt. And you don't know if you'll kill me, do you, Mosey? Tell me where my kids are. She tilted her head back and laughed into the blowing wind through the house as she raised the ammo clip. <laughs> like an automated assembly line machine, she disengaged the first clip and clicked the new one into position and swung the rifle. You couldn't do it. Mary Ellen fired once, but the gun propelled her in reverse. Sue Lee grabbed her thigh and fell back, but she fired the automatic weapon upward. Mary Ellen aimed and squeezed the trigger again. Sue Lee was slammed against the front door, released the rifle, and the lit stogie dropped to the tiles. Slowly, she slid down the door and held her bloodied stomach. In the dim, reflected light, Mary Ellen stared at the blood oozing out of the corner of Sue Lee's open mouth. Her dark eyes widened but shut quickly. Mary Ellen trained the handgun on her and moved forward. Sue Lee's blood-soaked olive t-shirt showed no signs of movement. She grabbed the heavy automatic rifle, but as she retreated across the kitchen, the outline of Kel's fallen form materialized near the kitchen counter where she had prepared her summertime meals. She backed out the sliders and into the night air and pulled the weighty weapon over each patio block. She reached the edge of the pool. Mary Ellen had castigated Tony, convicted him of his guilt, and now he was guilty of no offense other than loving her. She removed the excess moisture from her eyes and sat up. The stars seemed to advance in unison across the black sky, and the crisp moon was directly above her. The sirens were louder now. The police would help find the kids. A shadow crept over the moon, and a looping thin line dangled briefly over her chin and tightened around her neck. She looked up at Sue Lee's heavy eyes and blood-lined teeth, backlighted by the moon. Mary Ellen choked and grabbed her throat. Air to her lungs was effectively cut as the line ripped against her skin. Now death comes swiftly! Mary Ellen rocked violently, her fingernails under the stinging, frayed nylon rope clamping her windpipe. She slipped, and her back scraped against the bench's granite edge, but Sue Lee held onto the rope. Mary Ellen used the downward momentum to thrust her body onto the pool tiles. When she rolled forward, Sue Lee retained her grip like a tiger's massive jaw closed around a fallen prey. Mary Ellen pulled at the rope, squirmed and kicked. The police sirens were louder now, and the stars blurred as she bucked toward the pool. Sue Lee's blood dripped onto her face. Mary Ellen tightened her upper body, fell forward, and they splashed into the water. Coolness enveloped her skin, and chlorine stung the abrasions under the tightened line around her neck. Sue Lee stuck to her as they both sank to the depths. Mary Ellen's muddled thoughts vanished in huge blocks of time. Her knees brushed against the bottom cement, and her body bounced at an angle through the weightless water. The lack of air taxed her pain threshold, but the rope loosened. Sue Lee's hands were no longer against her neck. She pulled the rope from her throat, but water rushed into her lungs. All feeling left her. For a moment, her kids flashed into her thoughts as everything stopped. Chapter 31 A dull pink glow covered her eyelids and she heard people talking. The light was too intense to keep her eyes open for a sustained period, and her throat felt as if it were sliced by a knife blade. Police radios broadcast loudly from somewhere within the brightness, and a rounded cup of cool air surrounded her mouth and nose. She opened her eyes. Several EMTs gawked down at her. Can you hear us, Mrs. Fresco? She nodded quickly. Good, good, we're taking you to the hospital. I'm all right, she said in a raspy voice. She pulled the air mask away. My kids, where are my kids? Chief Hawkins! Trees above the backyard came into view, and the moon had descended over the rooftop, but its glow and the twinkling stars remained. Hawkins' voice grew louder across the patio, in a sweatshirt and jeans, he squatted down next to Mary Ellen. Mrs. Fresco, my kids, your children and your dog are being transported by the state police cruiser back from Annapolis. Thank God. Ron Lee uh, told your kids that Tony was still alive and lured them into his van. His roommate picked them up on the New Jersey Turnpike. The roommate held them as Lee headed south to force you to withdraw money to help Lee and his sister escape. 
They knew Kel had uncovered the machine shop. Kel, I didn't listen to him, and now he's dead, said Hawkins. Emotion surged within her. Her eyes moistened as she whispered loudly, He scored the big one. Yeah, he scored the big one. The Osprey made yet another swoop around the bay's azure face. Mary Ellen smiled and wrapped her arms around Shane and Angie as she followed the bird's outstretched scallop wingspan across the smooth sky. Eloise sat next to Danny as he scooped up a bucket of compacted sand to add to the castle wall he was constructing away from the approaching tide. The osprey disappeared over the beach house as the cooler breeze shifted direction. That very afternoon, she accepted an offer from a New York couple to purchase the beach house. Tony would have marveled at her ability to conduct the sale with the broker and attain a more than adequate price for the property. She missed him and regretted not having told him she was wrong about his actions with Sue Lee. And even though Kel was buried back in Buffalo next to his wife, his spirit hovered with Tony's essence over the Chesapeake, like the ever-freshening wind, evolving, cleansing, and new. Sue Lee is killed, but the emotional pain lingers. Well, next week we are going into space with Terry Cobb, intra-solar system investigator. It's the future, it's science fiction, and it's starting next week. I'm Robert P. Fitton. Thank you for listening to Beach House. I hope it was enjoyable. See you next time on the planet Mars. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.